0: We're in a series called Brand New and we are doing a study on the book of Revelations and so we're going to continue uh, today but we also uh, have quite an exciting event that will take place towards the end of the sermon today. The subtitle for this morning is The Four Horsemen. And last week we turned our attention to Revelation chapter 5 and 6 and we ended just taking a glimpse back at Revelation 4 because they kind of all feed into each other. And we saw the incredible picture of Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God throughout history and also establishing the pattern of how God's people, no matter what's going on in our world and in our lives, we are able to rest in him and conquer our enemies. We saw so clearly that the pattern God had given to uh, the Israelites in the Old Testament, which is a type and shadow, was that Israel faced the temple, God's presence, and not their enemies, confident that God was covering them from behind. In essence, that's how we still overcome today. In Romans 13 verse 14, it actually says this, that we are to put on Christ and uh, that, that word they put on is the, he, uh, the Greek word enduo and it actually means to sink in completely, to invest yourself in something. It comes from two Greek words, en, which is a primary preposition which actually denotes a fixed position and by implication, therefore, resting in that position. And the word deno which actually, or duo, means to go down or to go deep. So we're we're to rest in God by going deep in Him. As a matter of fact, let's read the Passion Translation in Romans 13, verses in 13 and 14. It puts it over so beautiful. It says, We must live honorably, surrounded by the light of this new day, not in the darkness of drunkenness and debauchery, Not in the promiscuity and sensuality, not being argumentative or jealous of others. Instead, fully immerse yourselves in the Lord Jesus, the anointed one, and don't waste even a moment's thought on the former identity identity to awaken its selfish desires. In other words, we could say it like this. Fellowship leads to fruitfulness. As a matter of fact, the reference to this scripture in the Old Testament is Job 29 verse 14, which says, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. The one translation says, it completely covered me or overwhelmed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. You see, Christ has given us righteousness and it looks good on you. There are many different levels of blessing and inheritance, and all of these are linked to our fellowship with Jesus, and our response to him as a result. We saw last week so c- clearly we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. And so it references, references us back into Revelation, showing us that even in the end times, that's how believers and the church will overcome Let's dive straight in as we start to bring this all to conclusion. Now, remember we started in Revelation 6, 1, and it says, I now saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, with a voice like thunder, come and see. And then in Revelation 6, verse 8, the second part, it kind of confirms it, it brings it all together, and it says uh, in the last part, And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth. So even... As these seals are unlocked, they don't destroy the whole earth. They're given limited power. And it says that they were given uh, to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. We saw these as the initial signs uh, and unfolding of the end times. As the first of the four seals are opened, we see the four horses of the apocalypse are revealed. This is representative of four evil spirits uh, that are at work in the earth. At this time, we already see them, uh, and they are there to fulfill Satan's evil agenda. Let's refresh ourselves just briefly so we can uh, bring it all together and maybe add one or two things. Revelation 6 verse 2, it speaks about the white horse that attacks first. And it attacks truth, it challenges God's authority, it brings false truth, and wrong doctrine. This is counteracted by the face of the lion, which is one of the four creatures. And that lion speaks of courage and boldness. How many of you know it takes courage and boldness to confront things with truth? And so we see that when we do that, we're able to continue to work in and walk in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And how many of you know, we, we reflected on this. Truth is more under attack than ever before. False truth, even fake, fake doctrine that comes through this crowned white horse. And it is the center of the attack. And really that center is around the truth of Jesus Christ. Is Jesus really the Son of God? Is Jesus part of the Trinity? Is the gospel of Jesus Christ the only way to to receive eternal life? We know that Jesus painted it so clearly in John eight verse thirty two to thirty six where he said himself, You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Then we see in Revelation six verse four the second uh, of the of the horsemen was the red horse, and this horse brings about wars, and it brings about division and hatred. Uh, Actually it leads to strife and contention and conflict people wanting to kill one another. And again, we, we see this so rife in the world today, even within nations that before had this unity. They now have loggerheads and and these different factions and and disunity around so many issues. And we see the agenda here is to divide and destroy homes all across the world. We also saw that this is Confronted or overcome uh, or, or presented by the banner of the ox, and the ox to you and I is a picture of the face of Jesus in his strength. Remember that when we're yoked with Jesus, the burden is light and the weight is easy. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. It's it's in that relationship where we experience God's love. And you know, God's love brings about unity. It brings about compassion. And it leads us to a place where we can live an unselfish life. True religion is founded in love. And true love casts out fear. Then in Revelation 6, verse 5, we saw the third is the black horse. And this black horse speaks about uh, poverty and famine and even economic collapse and financial uh, disaster. And this is answered by, by the face of Christ as the man. Jesus coming as the perfect Adam. And it actually speaks about or is symbolic of wisdom, discipline and generosity three clear things that Jesus brought into our lives and and displayed them when he walked this earth and then in revelation 6 verse 8 we see the fourth is the pale horse and and that horse brings sickness and disease and literally uh, Vast amounts of people are killed quickly, and, and we see that being represented uh, by the viruses and the pandemics and, and all the different flus that have come. And notice it ended there in, in that verse, it speaks about beasts. Isn't it incredible that so many of the diseases we're experiencing today come primarily through animals? And we know, uh, you know, there's, some of them might be genetically uh, created, but they are perpetuated through animals. And so we see the, the banner or the face that meets this challenge is the eagle. And you know, the eagle speaks about having vision, having perception, the ability to see things the way they really are. And it also speaks about the eagle represents the ability to act speedily. And so what we see when we have God's vision and we have peace perception, we're able to saw Not just with the Spirit, but in the Spirit, and we're able to be led by the Spirit. And that's the way we walk in God's protection and favor and increase. So we see now, and let's take a moment, and we see that Jesus actually confirms prophetically these events as signs of the end of times. Let's turn to Matthew 24, verses 3 to 5, as we start to bring this all together, as we build and conclude from last week. It says here in verse 3, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age verse 4 and Jesus answered and said to them take heed that no one deceives you for many will come in my name saying i am the christ and will deceive many notice there the first horse the horse that brings deception the horse that brings false truth the the the, the horse that brings and tries to undermine the Messiah as a reality. And then we go on in verses six and we read right down to verse 12. It says, Jesus speaking to his disciples, he said, you will hear wars and rumors of wars. You'll see see that you are not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up To the tribulation to kill you and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and betray one another and will hate one another. And then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many because lawlessness will abound. The love of many will grow cold. Here we see the other three horses. We see the second horse bringing strife, man against man, nation against nation. Wars and rumors of war. We see the third horse. We see the famine and the poverty and the, and the financial uh, disasters and, and breakdown of the economy. And we see the fourth horse speaking about pestilence. That is disease and, and, and sickness that is rife around the world. So the Bible here is pointing us to a reality prophesied thousands of years ago not to bring fear but to, to, to produce faith. Not only do we see it in the Old Testament, but we see it right here in the Gospels. Jesus, our Savior, telling us about this himself. But remember, not to produce fear, but to produce faith. Why? Because Jesus is still the answer. Can I remind you here, verse 6. Can we just jump back to Matthew 24, verse 6. Look what Jesus says, in the midst of of this discussion where he's preaching and sharing with his disciples. He says in verse 6, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. See that you are not troubled. You see, we've got to protect our hearts. And how do you protect your heart? You sow the word, you put on the armor of God, and you allow it to build your faith. So Jesus sketches here for us the prevailing conditions, not just of this present age, but as we move towards the end times. Without any doubt, we see these four horses working in the earth today at the same time. But remember, verse 8 said this, Jesus speaking, all these things are the beginning of sorrows. So again, we see that these are still precursors for the real unlocking of the time of tribulations. It's, we could say it like this. It's like the labor pains or the birth pains that precede the end as God gets ready to introduce the new thing, which is a time of joy and celebration. As God brings to conclusion in Christ Jesus the victory over Satan and his demons. In Matthew 24, verse 13 and 14, Jesus still speaking, he confirms this. He says, But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. You see, as a church, we've got to continue to persevere, to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And as we do that, the word of God will reach people. People will be saved. Our lives will be built up in faith and we'll operate in the wisdom and the favor of God. Now, let's, let's bring some of these pieces together. Do you remember in Isaiah 59, you probably know this verse, verse 19. It says this, so shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For when the enemy comes in like a flood, The spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard. That word standard is the word banner against him. The Lord will lift up a standard or a banner against him. There again we see the confirmation that the way to victory is through lifting up the banner. It speaks in a declaration, a prophetic declaration of God's favor and protection. So we see the four faces and the four banners A confirmation of the four living creatures that are amidst the throne, the Lamb of God, is the way we are able to deal with these four horses. So think about it then. Jesus Christ is our standard. He is our banner. If we raise the banner in every direction of attack, Jesus is able to work and bring the victory. So how do we do this? It's not our work, it's the work of Christ in us and through us. So we receive the word of God, we continue to build the church of Jesus Christ, and we focus on the work of Jesus in the new covenant. So we confirm it then that Jesus actually is our provision. Let's have a look at this and confirm this now from the New Testament and we'll see the four things that the New Testament church applied in their lives lifting up the banner or lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing we realize is that we have the power. Would you say that with me? Wherever you are sitting today, say, we have the power. In Acts 1 verses 4 to 8, Jesus After he had ascended and been, after he had raised from the dead, before he ascended, said to them in verses 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from here. What did Isaiah say? When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard. He will raise up a banner. And so we see verse 6. It says, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel or to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the father has put in his own authority, but... You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Here's the encouragement. We mustn't get caught up trying to work out the end times, trying to figure out the end time seasons. What we must get busy with is getting filled with the Holy Spirit, focusing on God's purpose for our lives And preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. You see at the advent of the Holy Spirit. The church was birthed. And we now live and move in the power of Almighty God. Have a look at Acts 2 and verse 24. This is literally after the disciples and the 120 in the upper room were baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. And they go out and Peter is about to preach the first message as the church is birthed. What an incredible moment. Look what verse 24 says as he's preaching. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Right here at the first sermon that Peter preached in the power of the Spirit, at the birth of the church, what does he speak about? He speaks about Jesus being lifted up as a banner, being raised up before all mankind as the true Son of the living God, raised from the dead, and he, that banner, is our victory. You see, this was never about a natural lion or an ox or a man or an eagle. It's all about Jesus and when we lift him up, Jesus is exalted and he will bring the victory. Acts 2 verse 33. Therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the, uh, from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. So he confirms, he said, how was Jesus raised up? How do we lift him up? We receive the baptism and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit's influence and power that was poured out that begins to be the work that happens in the life of the believer and the life of the church. The Holy Spirit leads and he gives us the pattern and the way to raise up the banner. Now, if we look at the, if we look at the early church, we see the early church exploded with growth. They saw tremendous miracles and signs and wonders and angels appeared in the midst of great oppression, difficulty, and massive attack. God was moving. We can clearly learn something from what they were doing. And here it is in Acts 2 verse 42 after 3,000 people had got saved and given their lives to Christ, look what it says here in Acts 2.42. It says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. You know what they did? They simply devoted themselves to doing some stuff, to doing some things, and they did it, Steadfastly. That word steadfastly means they were diligent, they continued in it, and they never gave up. Let's look at what the things were. Guess what? There were four things that they did in the early church. Remember, we spoke about the number four God's creativity, God's ability to create and to display His goodness. Number one, they Dedicated themselves to the apostles doctrine in other words. They continued to receive redemptive revelation from the word of God in other words. They received instruction direction and teaching inspired by the Holy Spirit. You see in Christ we have received the revealed truth and as we continue in it that truth is what sets us free. Again, we see a picture of the first banner. Truth overcomes untruth. And so it takes courage to walk in truth. Number two, what was the second thing they did? It says they had fellowship with one another. This word fellowship is a beautiful word. It speaks about God's divine intention for us to be accountable to each other within the context of the local church and believers. It is the Greek word koinonia. It literally means to be in partnership, to be in unity or in union, to enjoy social intercourse and interaction and fervent communication. Number one, they abided in the apostles' doctrine. Number two, they had fellowship with one another. Number three, it says they continued in the breaking of bread. What was the third thing the early church did? They shared communion on a regular basis. What is communion? It's celebrating the finished work of Christ, celebrating the covenant that we have with him, that as his body was broken and his blood was shed for us, it is for our healing, our forgiveness, and our redemption. Number four, the fourth thing the early church did, here according to Acts 2.42, it says they continued consistently in prayers. What is prayers? Notice it's plural. What is prayers? It's Holy Spirit-inspired, ignited prayer flowing with heavenly tongues, speaking in our heavenly language, speaking boldly the word of God as we pray and seek the face of our Heavenly Father. You see, the attitude of receiving and welcoming the Holy Spirit into our lives is to be continual an attitude that we live by every day, because when we receive the Holy Spirit, we also receive His refreshing into our lives as we become fervent in prayer. More than ever before, it's time for the church to arise as the prayer warriors that God has called us to be. So what did the early church do? They did four things. They abided in the doctrines of the apostle. They, uh, they fellowshiped uh, with each other regularly. They shared in the Holy Communion and they continued fervently in prayer. Four things are the four banners that they lifted up in the early church that raised and glorified Christ. And look What resulted? Literally an open heaven. Read with me from verse 43 of Acts chapter 2. Then it says, Then fear, not... Not an ungodly fear, but a godly fear, an awe, a reverence, a respect for God came upon every soul and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. Now everyone who believed were together and they had everything in common. They sold their possessions and goods. They divided them among everybody and everyone who had a need was met. Verse 46, they continued daily in one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house as they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And look at this, and the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. Wow. Isn't that incredible? That Daily people were getting born again. They were seeing miracles, signs, wonders, amidst persecution, amidst difficulty. God was glorifying Christ and causing the word of God to spread mightily. From day one, this is one of the scriptures that I've stood on for this church, that God would add to the church daily those who are being saved. In other words, in one year, 365 people should be added to the church through our efforts and our outreach programs and everything we do. And I want to tell you what, so far, God has been faithful for us to be able to win souls for Christ. What an incredible testimony of following the divine supernatural way of overcoming our enemies through the simple application of God's word. And you see today, it's in that spirit that we have the wonderful privilege of ordaining Ben Simon as as a pastor today in our church. Now, before I call him to come forward, you know, I just want to share with you Uh, What Ramah believes and ascribes to when it comes to giftings and callings. And we recognize today that God is the only one who can actually call someone into his service and into the ministry of, uh, of the apostles or pastors or teachers. And we see in Ephesians 4 verses 7 and 8 it says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. And then in verse 11, it says this, and he gave some, he himself gave some, to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. So you see, once a person is born again, they are then empowered with the Holy Spirit and they can begin to discover God's purpose and plan for their lives. When they recognize and begin to surrender their lives to that purpose and call, they are ready to be equipped for the task that God has called them to. So some churches believe if you are called you simply respond you start functioning straight away and you enter into your calling others believe that you don't have to function at all you just go to seminary Study for three to seven years. And once you qualify, you can just start doing your ministry. And I want to say to you today that Raymer believes both of these. You must discover your gift. Be prepared by God and start to function within your gift, within the local church. Because that proves you and that brings accountability into your life. It's what we call on-the-job training. But... We also believe you must also prepare yourself by receiving formal training through mentorship and through a recognized Bible college or school where you can be trained up and equipped practically for the work of ministry. And so we can confirm today that over the last three to five years, Ben has fulfilled both of these requirements. Ben and Leonette have been partners of Ramus South Coast Family Church for 11 years. They have been on the eldership of our church and served as active elders on the board for the past five years. Ben has been mentored by myself and by Pastor Mandy and by us as a team, as well as completing his ordination diploma with Christian Leaders International. He is both an excellent person, he has an excellent spirit, and he's been faithful to whatever task God has put before him in our local church. And so today it's our privilege to recognize the call that God has placed on his life as we ordain Ben as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now remind, let me remind you, God is the one who anoints and places people in the ministry. But today as lead pastors of this church, as the national overseers of the Ramah family of churches, it's our responsibility to recognize the calling and to release Ben into that calling. We see in Acts 13, verse 2 and 3, it says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, and laid, he laid, they laid hands on them and they sent them away to fulfill their ministry. So I want you to know today is a very meaningful occasion. It's a time for joy and celebration as we honor the gift that is in Ben. It will further release him to play his special role in the kingdom of God, in the community, and in our local church. Therefore, in accordance with these scriptures, I want to invite Ben to please come up onto the stage. And I want to invite his wife, Leonette to please come and join him. Now in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, it says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at the appearing and in his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, Because they will have itching ears, they will heap to themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. So today, Ben, I want to issue you with a charge, and I'd ask you to respond by saying that you do after each charge. Number one, do you reaffirm your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? And do you promise today to be diligent in prayer, in the study of the word, as you continue to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ? I do, Pastor Do you promise to be faithful in the ministry, devoting your time, your treasure, and your talent to serve God and his people? I do. Do you, pu- do you purpose in your heart to walk in love, to be ethical in your relationships, and to do your best to fulfill these at all times? I do. Do you pledge that by the grace of God, you'll do your best to live a pure and holy life, to honor the Lord as you fulfill the office of a good minister of Jesus Christ? I do. Based on that uh, confession, I'm going to ask you to please come and kneel. Leonet, you can stand next to him. I'm going to ask Mandy to stand in the middle, and I'm going to call the elders of our church to please step forward. And let's lay our hands and stretch our hands towards uh, Ben. Then, upon your confession of faith, after we have prayed and sought God and believed the release of the Holy Spirit in our hearts towards this, we lay our hands on you as we recognize the call of God on your life. We set you apart for the ministry to which God has called you. Today we ordain you and we thank God for you. We honor what Jesus has done in your heart. And we trust that the impartation of the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit will continue to operate in your life and through your ministry by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. May God's anointing rest upon you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious and good to you, to your household and to your ministry as you serve God. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace both now and forevermore in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for Ben. I thank you for the faithfulness. I thank you for the blessing he's been to myself and Mandy and to this ministry. And we release him now to fulfill and to step into the greater calling for which you have equipped him. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Ben. You can stand. And uh, just in my prayer time this week, I just want you to know that the Lord put on my heart Psalm 37, uh, verses 3 to 5, which really just speaks about having a heart to seek God, putting him first, trusting him, and that when you do that, he will bring everything to pass that concerns your life, your family, and your ministry. Congratulations. We're proud of you. Well done. Voila. (laughs) Well done. I hope you received something from the word of God today and that your faith has been inspired and that your life has been encouraged. Let's pray together as we close the service. Father, I want to thank you for your living word. I want to thank you that you have always given us a way of escape that your word is truth and life and that as we abide in fellowship with you, you'll cause our lives to be fruitful. And so right now I pray for every person that is watching or listening to this podcast today. I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would reveal your goodness in them and to them and that their life will abound in every area. Maybe you're watching or listening today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. It would be such an honor for me to lead you in the prayer of salvation. If that's you, simply pray this prayer out loud that is fashioned from Romans 10 verses 8, 9 and 10. Pray this out loud with me. Just repeat and say, Father God, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That he died for my sins and that you raised him from the dead so that I could be saved. I receive Christ into my heart today as my Lord and Savior. And I want to thank you for saving me. God bless you. If you pray that prayer, would you shoot us a WhatsApp or send us an email? We'd love to connect with you. If you don't live or come from this area, we'd like to send you a Bible. And we'd certainly like to pray with you and get you connected with the church in your area. If you are on the South Coast, come and join us one Sunday. We have two services, 8 o'clock and 10 o'clock. And it's a one-hour family service while we're busy going through this pandemic. We look forward to seeing you. God bless and thank you.